presence this morning. I'm thankful for the joy of the Lord, for it's our strength. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
your life this morning. Come on. The other day I was watching on uh, Instagram. I was just throwing through a bunch of stuff, and I saw Casey and Adam. Casey has an Instagram uh, page, and she was showing uh, most of the time it's all of her kids and Riker and Maverick. And Riker is going to be six, right, on uh, July 4th. And if a lot of you don't know the testimony of Riker, you need to just talk to Adam and Casey and they can share with you. But they've been a part of the journey with Berean um, since he was born. And he was not even supposed to walk. The doctors just said, he's not gonna walk. Just prepare yourself. And the other day, she's posting a video of Riker going up and down the stairs with no help, with no handrail. And I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> who he is. That is who we serve. He is the way maker, miracle worker, and there may be some things in your life right now that you need a way. But I tell you, we serve a God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways that we cannot see. He's going to make a way for you. And you need to declare that, and you need to own that this morning. Say, God, you are my way maker. You are all that I need. You're more than enough. You are sufficient. You are my provider. You're my healer. You're my God. You're my counselor. You are my all-powerful God. And this morning, I give it all to you, Father. And there may be a situation in your life right now that you're looking ahead and saying, I don't know how this is going to happen. Maybe financial, maybe physical, maybe spiritual. But you don't know. All you do is, all you see is a roadblock in front of you. I'm telling you right now, if you give it all to Jesus, he's going to take that wall and take that chains and it's just going to disappear in the name of Jesus. That you're just going to plow through knowing that there is healing in your life. You're going to plow through knowing that there is victory in your life. Because church, I'm telling you that there is victory in praise this morning. When you praise him, there is victory. I believe that he is the way maker this morning. Amen. Amen. He is all we need. Do you believe that?
than enough. You're more than enough. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. We're thankful for your healing. We're thankful for your provision. We're thankful for salvation today. Lord, anoint the rest of this service. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Turn to one next to you and say, he is all I need this morning. Amen. the green light. There we go. Green lights don't always mean anything. <coughs> what a wonderful privilege to be able to dedicate children to the Lord. Yeah. Amen. It's our heritage, our responsibility as a church to sustain and support children growing up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we recognize children as a blessing from God. And you all understand that baby dedication is expression of the desire of the parent that later will need to be an expression of the desire of the child. But this morning, it's the parent's ex expectation and expression of faith that they will raise their little one for the glory of God. Scripture commands parents to teach their children about the Lord Jesus Christ and not just with words, but with lifestyle. And in that manner, the child can be equipped to deal with the challenges of life and sufficiently prepared to meet the Lord when he returns. Amen. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up. It's a lifestyle, not a lesson. It's a way of living that we're called to to model in front of our families. So Matthew and Hannah, in presenting Ava for dedication, you desire that she would early come to faith in Christ. The name Ava is a unique one that finds roots in many different language bases. And so you can just about make it mean anything you want, depending on which language you go to. But from its Germanic roots, Ava means strength. And from its Hebrew roots, means living and lively. And you combine those, and it's only when we have experienced the life of God that we can have the strength to endure the challenges that life brings. And that's our prayer for little Ava, that she will experience the living power of Jesus Christ and she'll be a warrior for God's kingdom. So this morning I have some questions for you. Do you recognize this child as God's gift and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing? And do you submit yourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and commit yourselves to live godly and consistent lives before Ava? And do you promise by God's help and in partnership with the church to provide Ava a Christian home of love and peace, to raise her in the truth of the word of God, and to encourage her to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? So congregation, 
Um, we've done enough of these now that you should really be getting the hang of this. A few more and you'll be properly equipped. Let's stand together because, again, I can't resist this. It doesn't take a village. It takes a church to raise children for the kingdom. And it's our responsibility to support families. So in a moment, you'll be asked to respond with an enthusiastic we will. Emphasis on enthusiastic. I now ask you, the congregation, will you commit yourselves as the body of Christ to the prayerful support of Matthew and Hannah as they endeavor to fulfill their responsibilities to and before God? We will. Amen. We have some gifts for you. The flowers, the uh, white bud, that rep rosebud that represents the innocency of a new life the white carnation that speaks of the purity of the mother's love, and the red carnation that speaks of the spiritual priesthood of the father. So, yeah, smile at me. I get one every time. And then I don't care what the rest of you do at this moment. We also have a Bible certificate, letter for you, and a letter for Ava when she is 13 that can remind her of this day. So I'm going to take this little bundle of joy. Do I get a smile this morning? Huh? Do I? <laughs> Look out there. See what I have to put up with every Sunday morning? <laughs> Look at that crew. Yeah, look them over and put me at the top of your prayer list. Okay? Would you stretch your hand this way as we pray together? Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that in a world filled with chaos, pain, traps, and destruction, that you are the way maker, you're the miracle worker, you're the promise keeper. We thank you for that. And this morning we bring Ava before you and ask that your hand would be early and evident on her life, that she would early come to faith in you and that she would walk in the strength that you will give her every day of her life as a warrior for your kingdom. Bless her and use her for your kingdom's sake. I pray for Matthew and Hannah that you'll give them wisdom and insight, that you'll give them an anointing as parents to lead their home in the way of godliness. We commit this family to you in Jesus' name and thank you for your safety, provision, and anointing. And we give you praise. Amen. What a sweetheart. the beginning of life. And this morning we also want to honor a life well lived. So Dee Stebbin, would you come to the platform wherever you are? I'm going to have my wife join me on the platform and Pastor Kevin to join me. should have brought my cane. I have a cane from her cane maker that you screw off the top and out comes a sword. It's the coolest thing ever. I haven't figured out what benefit that is because if I'm attacked, I'm going to have to say, stand there a minute while I unscrew this and pull it out, but it's fun. 
Uh, Dee and Bob have attended Berean since 1980. For me, that seems like just a few days ago, but for some of you, that was before you were born. Dee started teaching third grade in 1980 and then moved to fifth grade. And in 1993, she began teaching Foundations of Faith. She's taught Foundations of Faith for uh, 27 years from 1993 to 2020 when she retired and, the, and we had the whole COVID uh, year to deal with. So Dee has been a Sunday school teacher here at Berean for 40 years. So Dee, thank you for your faithfulness pouring into children's lives. We have some flowers for you that we'll give back to you after second service, but we want you to see them, this one. And then we have an award for you that Pastor Kevin has, the, the um, uh, I was going to say the golden apple. It says Outstanding Teacher Award, Foundations of Faith, 1993 to 2020, if you'll present that to um, Dee. I also want to say a big thank you to Bob because at the end of Foundations, Bob, I know what it is to uh, be the uh, ministry gopher when Carol was doing uh, girls' ministries. And I know at the end of the year, there's always been a big party out at your house that I never got invited to. So not that I'm bitter or anything, but the kids had a great time out there fishing and four-wheeling and everything else that happened. And as far as I know, they all came back in one piece. And so would Bob, would you stand and give a big thank you to Bob Stebbin as well? So Dee and Bob, we love you. Thank you for your investment in children and only heaven will reveal the rewards. And your privilege and ours as well, amen. We love you and thank you for your service. Big round of applause one more time, God bless you. Also try to streamline the service, but there are times we just need to pause and talk about people. Is that all right with you? If it's not, get over it. <laughs> um, but we've also had a change a couple of weeks ago. We honored um, Linda Cachette for her transition, retiring from serving here at Berean and stepping into her space um, and creating her own space. I just want you to know who that is so that if you have complaint calls, send them to her. And compliment calls. So our new office administrator is Stacy Webb. Stacy, would you stand and appreciate what Stacy has done? Thank you, Stacy, and welcome to the team. And Linda hasn't totally left us. She and Gary are still attending here, and she is still bringing food to staff meeting on Tuesday. So we're we're appreciative. Staff ought to say a big amen right there. That is an amazing thing. So. All right, open your Bibles or turn on your digital device. Join me in 1 Peter chapter 2 as we watch this video.
amen. I heard clapping, but if you believe the Lord is good, let me hear an amen on top of the claps. The Lord is good. We're doing a series through 1 Peter about what it means to build the believers that in our desire to reach the world and reach the lost, if we don't have a strong church, judgment begins at the house of God. If we don't have a strong church, we'll never reach the world. And both of those things have to be held in tandem and in tension. And at the end of Peter's uh, journey with Jesus, before Jesus was crucified, when he said that he would never deny him, and Jesus prophesied that he would, Jesus gave this commission to Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. His call was to strengthen the brothers. And then you'll remember after the crucifixion of Christ that Peter went back to fishing and there was a time that they were fishing that Jesus saw them and called them in for breakfast. And in dealing with Peter at the end of the restoration that happens in Peter's life, Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, it was a recommissioning of that call to strengthen the brothers. What we need in the church today are those who are committed to making the church strong. Everything around us is driving to destroy the church. And as we launch small groups in the fall, I want to see leaders rise up that have that same heart and passion to be pastoral caregivers and build the body of Christ. Every one of us should want to have the character that builds the body of Christ. Amen? I said every one of us should want to be of the character that builds the body of Christ. And so we talked about 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to celebrate the new birth. So thankful for what Jesus did for us as we surrendered our life to Jesus. How many of you are glad you're saved? thankful for the new birth. Second, then, chapter 2, we're called to crave spiritual milk. To crave spiritual milk. Now, what does that really mean? What it doesn't mean are the basic things of Scripture. Peter is not using milk in contrast with meat as Paul does to the church in Corinth. He's talking about the sustenance that a baby desires and demands. And that we should have the same desire for God's sustenance that a child has for its mother's milk. That same desire that not just feeds but builds relationship. Pure spiritual milk. What's interesting as you think about babies desiring milk is that they're not choosing it. They're wanting what will satisfy them and the mother supplies that. In spiritual matters, God will supply to us the spiritual sustenance that we need. In other words, what I'm saying to you is simply this. Everyone who's going to build the body of Christ needs to have a passion to experience the sincere, supernatural sustenance that Jesus has for our lives. You cannot build the body of Christ if your tank's empty. You cannot build the body of Christ if you don't have a passion for the things of God. 
Now, I'm thankful for people in the body of Christ that are business-minded, that are tech-savvy, that have all the giftings we need to do the work of the ministry, but all of that is for nothing if people don't have a heart for the genuine sustenance that comes from heaven. There needs to be an anointing from God on the life of every believer to pursue him and experience what he has for us. I talked to um, a friend of mine that you all know, Pastor Jonathan Bartholo, just yesterday. He has suffered with pain in his back for well over a year, waking him up in the night. He said, when I get out of a chair, I look like I'm an old man. And we didn't pursue that any further. We just talked about the pain that he's experiencing. He went to a chiropractor. That didn't help. Went to a massage therapist. That didn't help. Went to a doctor who did an MRI and said, there's nothing structurally that we can do right now. You have arthritis in your lower back, and that's where the pain's coming from, but really offered him no resource. So what would you do? I'd be asking God all along the way, wouldn't you, for deliverance from pain. Now, watch this. They're together, their churches together at a seminar in Minnesota. And during one of the worship services, when he wasn't even aware of, of, of anything happening in the supernatural realm, all of a sudden he recognized that the pain was gone. He said, it's been a week. I haven't had a pain-free day in over a year. It's been a week with no pain. So we talked about that. Now, I need you to hear me right now. We need to not sensationalize the supernatural. We need to normalize the supernatural. And if you will create space for God to touch you, there are times that he will come by and satisfy the desire of your heart. So what does that mean? During worship, and I have this tendency when Carol and I visit somewhere, um, how many of you know that I'm a pastor? And so I'm looking around at the mechanics. I'm watching how the worship team is, is interacting. I'm looking at where the sound people are. I'm looking at the lights, watching the transitions. And more often than not, my wife will lean over and rebuke me and say, did you come here to worship or to watch? Truthfully, I came to watch. <laughs> but what I need to do is worship. Yeah, yeah. Hello? So if you're watching... You're not going to get anything. But in the worship service, if you'll make space, I could see it when I was standing at the back, when we're singing about Waymaker. If you'll push away from you the people that are around you, not physically, but move them out of your thinking process, put all the distractions away from you, and make space around you that it is just you and Jesus. There is no telling what might happen during a worship service when the Spirit of God begins to move. Somebody will begin to pray in tongues for the first time. Somebody will give their life to Jesus while they stand there. Somebody will experience divine healing because there is a craving desire among people who really know Jesus to experience the sincere, authentic spiritual sustenance that he has for us and nothing else will satisfy. We're not coming here for a religious duty. We're coming here to receive the sustenance. Is that making any sense to you at all? 
And God will honor his word. I mean, God will honor his word. I've got another story that I need to tell you. I'm tell you what, I, farmer's market. We've had one week of farmer's market. You ought to come out and just make it an evangelistic field. I'm telling you what. I was out there Monday walking around and talking to people, and I talked to at least three, maybe four people who said, yeah, we used to go to Berean, and I said, we need to change the used to to we are. Amen. And if you're here this morning, Farmer's Market, thank you for coming. I don't know if you're here or watching online. But there's one lady who comes that I just, she's a sweetheart, but she's tough as nails and stubborn as a mule. She just is tough. She sells plants and lawn ornaments and artwork, and she'll be standing there with a pop can and a pair of scissors and be making flowers or something out of that. She refuses the canopy, so she's standing there. Oh, I would get her something. Sweat's running down her face, and she's just tough as, and as nice as she can be. But she said, um, I want to pay for my space this year. And Pastor Kevin said to her, well, you can't pay for your space because we're not charging for space this year. Well, I'm going to pay for it anyway. Well, you can't pay for it anyway. Well, I am going to pay for it anyway. And he said, you can make a donation to the church, but you can't pay for anything. I didn't know all that happened, so then I walked by. Come here. <laughs> she hands me a check. I take it. I walk away. Now, I don't know. I've seen some days at Farmer's Market that she hasn't sold hardly anything. But she loves being there. Now, I'm just telling you, whoever you are, whatever walk of life, God's word is true. And if you honor it, he will honor you. She gave me a check for $100. And she sold $200 worth of product. God honors generosity. God honors obedience. I don't know her faith story. I'm just telling you that we ought to desire those moments where we've made space for God and God moves in and we experience the sustenance that he has designed for our lives. Boy, this is good stuff. <laughs> I hope you're getting something out of this. So how do we do that? What does that look like? First 10 verses, here's how it starts. It starts by declaring his praise. The people of God ought to be praise givers. Hello? I mean, it ought not be that we've got to pump out of you during the worship service. Come on, raise your hands. Someone worship. Someone. That's who we are. That's who the people of God are. There's something in us that responds to that, that cries out to him. He says in the first three verses that you need to grow up. You need to grow up in your salvation. There's no place for stagnation in our spiritual development. We need to rid ourselves of the flesh. And I want you to notice what he says to get rid of. It's not the vileness of behavior, it's the vileness of character. He says, get rid of malice, get rid of deceit, get rid of hypocrisy, get rid of envy, get rid of slander of every kind. We need to get rid of those internal things that are like the world because you can't praise him when your inside is full of garbage. Can I be honest and uh, make a confession here. When I read this just now about deceit, how many of you would be willing to admit that for you, there have been times when being totally honest was um, not 
the best course of action in your mind. So I had an, an <laughs> I shouldn't do this. I had an interaction with a minister that was less than pleasant. And I was going to have to complete that. And so I told my wife what I was going to do and what I was going to say. So my goal was to diminish the division, try to make peace, and recreate the narrative. Do you know what recreate the narrative means? It means lie. <laughs> I said to her, this is what I'm going to do. I thought, Pastor Tim, I thought this was really shrewd. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to move this around, and then we're going to go this way. And she said, you can do that, but you're lying. I've told you the voice of God at my house sounds like my wife. How many know what, what I'm saying? So I thought, all right, we'll throw that plan out. Then my phone rang, and it was this, this individual wanting to talk. And in that moment, God gave me words for that moment that de-escalated and was absolutely the truth. And I wondered who was talking on the phone. I'm saying to you that if you're willing to be spiritually sustained, God will do a work of purging the ways of the world out of you that are so easy to creep into us because when deceit, malice, slander is on the inside of you, you can't receive sustenance. My son got sick this week. Think it was heat exhaustion. And it didn't matter after he got really, really sick, um, vomiting in the night, couldn't keep anything down. And it didn't matter. Listen, it didn't matter while he was sick how much he wanted to eat something. I mean, he didn't even have an appetite. But anything that went down came back up. How many of you have ever been there? The rest of you are lying, but anyway. That's what it's like when your inside is filled with spiritual infection and you're trying to consume fresh sustenance from God. It's just going to erupt out. You're not going to be able to absorb it. If you want spiritual sustenance, authentic spiritual experiences with God, then here are the things that you have to get rid of. And like a newborn babe, hunger for the truth that God has. Why? Because we've tasted. Hallelujah! We've tasted that the Lord is good. Come on, somebody help me this morning. I said, we've tasted that the Lord is good. How many of you have ever... <laughs> How many of you ever come into the worship service with a sour taste in your mouth? And worship washed it out. Came in bitter, tired, angry, frustrated, and then began to sing anyway. And the washing of the water of the Spirit did something and put a freshness on the inside of you. I'm telling you, I've tasted, and the Lord is always good. I've tasted, and the Lord is always good. And because of that, I want everything that he has for me. 
We need to grow up and then we need to be built up for a purpose, a spiritual house with priesthood and sacrifices. He is controversial to the world. He's been rejected by the world, but he is the chief cornerstone. But we know him. We know who he is. And we are part of a spiritual house. It's not just about you, but it's a place where worship happens. We're all integrated in that. And it's the work of God to make us fit into that temple, a place where God dwells. So when you grow up and are built up, you need to start to shout out his praise. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen people. Everybody say chosen people. That's who you are. We are a chosen people. We're not, we're not the off-scouring. We're not accidental. We didn't sneak in the back door. You're not a walk-on. You are chosen by God. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Everybody say royal priesthood. Kingly priesthood before God. We are a holy nation. Everybody say holy nation. And we are a special possession. Say special possession. That's who we are. That's what he has made us to be. He's called us out of darkness into light. He's given us a new identity. He's given us purpose and significance. We were nobody, but now we're the people of God. We were without mercy, and now we're recipients of God. For what purpose? He's called you out of darkness into light so that you can proclaim the praises of God. What does it mean to experience spiritual sustenance? Get, grow up, get built up, understand why you're here, and then shout his praise. Make his praise glorious. Magnify his name. Publish who he is. And I promise you that when you begin to praise him, the spirit of God inhabits that space that you've made. And he will set before you a banqueting table more than you can consume and more than you ever desired or understood because I've tasted and the Lord is good. (laughs) Declare his praise. If you want to build the body, quit your whining and start praising Jesus. (laughs) Hallelujah. Second, I'm going to use the language right here in scripture. Live good lives. That word good means valuable and virtuous. He says to live good lives. Well, what are good lives? Well, it's what we started the chapter with, getting rid of all the junk and walking in God's supernatural anointing. But there's a purpose for that. There are three purposes for living a good, what does that mean? A virtuous and valuable life. So you're here in this world to demonstrate the character of God and add value to the world around you. Because if you live the character of God, you'll make the world around you a better place. And here are three things that will flow out of that from Peter's description when we've eaten at the Father's banqueting table. Pagans will glorify God. Abstain from sinful desires. We're not of this world. We're to give a, we're to live a holy lifestyle so that they will glorify God in the day that he visits. Now, ultimately, that's the final judgment. But scripture talks about moments of visitation. And how are they going to glorify God when God shows up? It's when we have been living virtuously and adding value that they begin to believe in you. And pagans aren't going to respond to attract 
product or a presentation that's separated from a lifestyle. But when they see who you are and how you live, and then they come into a place, a worship center, where God begins to move and they experience that, they'll turn to Christ because they will experience what you've been demonstrating in front of them. Living a good life isn't so that you can be squeaky clean with a pat on the back. It's so that pagans will come to Christ. Second, it's so that ignorant people will be silenced. Oh, it's, it's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. <laughs> For it is the will of God that you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that painted on my wall. <laughs> oh, no, I left part of that out. It is the will of God that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. How can you silence ignorant and foolish people? I'll tell you, listen, if you haven't figured it out, um, I enjoy a good debate. <laughs> I, I do, I do. Um, you say, do you like to lose? No, I don't. But I've never, <laughs> I've never been able to win a debate with an ignorant person. Or a stupid person. Did you say stupid? Yeah, because I looked in the lexicon and the definition of this word ignorant, do you know what the second word was? Stupid. <laughs> ignorant, you can't reason with ignorant and stupid people. We give them talk shows. We let them interpret the news. We put them, I'm, I'm not trying, I'm not, that's nothing political in that, it's just a fact. You cannot watch media today and not see a, a screen filled with ignorant and foolish people saying ignorant and foolish things. And you cannot out-argue them. You can't reason with them. You can't rationally have a conversation that will change their mind because they're grounded and rooted in ignorance. There's only one thing that will change them, and that's when you live in such a way that the charges don't stick. When they goad you, you don't respond. You don't meet evil with evil or fire with fire. There are times to rebuke and there are times to be forceful but when they see a virtuous and valuable life they run out of ways to be able to argue now what does that mean what does that really mean to live a virtuous and valuable life that'll shut up ignorant people well it means that you submit to authority that means you're careful what you say about people in leadership even when you don't agree means you're not always fighting your boss or people that are over you. You submit to authority. You have a freedom from the world's bondage that they don't understand so that you can serve God and not do evil. You don't respond like they do. You're a person of respect 
Now, I'm not suggesting you have to go to yes, ma'am, and, and no, sir. But I'm telling you, people who know Jesus know how to greet people with respect. They know how to make eye contact. They know how to be affirming and kind to the people that they talk to. Is there anyone hearing me right now? That's not etiquette. That's the work of the Spirit in your life, to show respect to the people around you. They can't argue that when you're respectful. Um, they recognize that you love other believers. You're not always running down the church, that you fear God, that you honor authorities. Peter doesn't leave us in the hypothetical or the experimental. He tells us in the practical what it means to be valuable and virtuous and we begin to manifest that. So that, why do you want to live good? So that pagans will glorify God, so that the ignorance will be silenced, and so that you'll be commended. Are you ready? This is where it gets really rough. Verses 18 to 20. Now, please understand there are things that happen in the workplace that need to be confronted, but there's a right way and wrong way to do that. So Peter is saying, if you want to experience the sustenance that God has for you, we live in a different kingdom. And he says, he's talking to slaves. And those of you that that think the Bible honors slavery. Listen, you and I can have a conversation. That's ignorant and foolish talk. The Bible does not ordain slavery. You have to understand it in the economic system that it was in and what was required of slavery in the Old Testament and under the law of God. And in a sense, any job that you work, you're a slave to the boss. I'll never forget, I, when I was in Bible college, I worked at a, at a um, spot welding factory. And it was just, and there was a lot of piecework, and you got paid for extra piecework, and so you just put stuff in the machine and the jig, and then ran it through, flip them out, and the more you did, the more you got paid, and we're going away. I remember the night before, uh, I wasn't there the night this happened, a guy got a piece of wire caught in his wedding ring, and it sucked his, pulled his hand right into the spot welder, and just mashed it clear off, and so they, we couldn't wear jewelry and all of that. But it was, it was boring work. A monkey could have done what I was doing. <laughs> it was honest, and I needed a job. So I brought with me my evangelism scriptures that I had to memorize on three by five cards. And the spot welders often had this center post with um, uh, channels that came down, and my cards would fit right there. So I'd stick it up there, and while I was working, I'd work on memorizing. And there was a, my foreman was a... Lovely lady. <laughs> and she used to be Assemblies of God. I'm telling you what, you want to test your faith? Work under a former, a backslidden Assemblies of God person. And she walked up to me. I mean, now listen, there's inappropriate pictures on the wall. How many get, or do I need to describe? You understand? I mean, there's stuff all over the place. Like, what in the world? She said, get those down. Get what down? Those scripture cards. What are those doing up there? Get them down. And I said, I'm just working on memorizing those. She said, we're not paying you to think. We're paying you to work. And we own your time. Put that away. And I could have thrown a fit. Could have demanded my rights. But you know what? Her method was wrong, but what she said was right. I need it. It wasn't anything morally wrong I was being asked to do, 
But Jesus says we need to learn how to submit to authority even when it's mean. Because if you do wrong and suffer for it patiently, God doesn't even pay attention. That's what you ought to do. You got a whipping, you got chewed out, you got punished for something you did. That's what you ought to do. But if you do good and suffer for it and take it patiently, that is commended by God. Why? Because you're going to shut up ignorant people. Because pagans are going to come to faith. And it's in the fire of affliction when you learn how to behave in the character of another kingdom. Because you've been sustained. You've been tasting that the Lord is good. And when, you're, when your tank is full... You can bear it patiently under unbearable people. Hallelujah. I'm not saying that you can't challenge wrongdoing. But we're called, thirdly, to follow Christ's example. 20 to 28. He suffered wrongly. How many of you know that? He suffered wrongly. He was tried in a bogus court by a stacked deck who had no desire to do the right thing. And he didn't plead his case. He didn't strike them all dead. Do you know what he did? When they accused him, he didn't answer a word. He challenged them with what is truth. And then they nailed him to a cross, mocked him and scoffed him. But what happened? There was a pagan there that day that was hanging on the cross who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There was a centurion that was standing beneath the cross who said, surely this must be the son of God and ever since that day there have been millions upon millions who have knelt at that same blood stained cross and found the life giving provision of Jesus Christ because he suffered wrongly so that we could have new life and we're called to that we're called to follow in that example I hate this I hate to be treated wrongly. So what do you do? It's what you do is entrust yourself to God. Do you believe in God? Do you believe he's real? Do you believe he cares about you? Do you believe that he walks with you? Then when you're in the middle of that, he's right beside you. And rather than fighting your own cause, entrust him with your care. That he'll bring good out of the battle that you're in the midst of. Because he gave his life. Because of this, we have new life and divine healing. He bore our pain and sin, giving the ultimate sacrifice. And we're to follow that example. That sometimes you have to die to be able to help somebody else. And don't ever forget this. Verse 25. You were like sheep going astray. You were that foolish, ignorant person. You were that pagan that was far from God. 
you were the very one that today you might despise. And in that condition, his focus wasn't to correct you, it was to convert you. And he brought you back to God. So Pastor Nathan, if you'd come to the platform, I want us to have a couple of minutes here to crave pure spiritual sustenance. <laughs> I, I, I just need to say it this way. How many of you have ever had it with your kids? I'll never forget my mom telling me to go out and play in the traffic. I'm not making that up. Why don't you go play in the traffic? There were five of us. She thought four would be easier. Kids can drive. What do you do when your kids drive you to despair? Send them to camp. <laughs> and we'll help you pay for it. Send them to grandparents. Let them fill them up with sugar and send them back and they'll be worse. Do you know what you do when you can't stand them anymore? Your tank's empty. I'm telling you the truth. I've been so exasperated and angry and then gone into an alone time with God and my tank fills up. And you know what? They're so, they are so much nicer when my tank is full. How many of you have ever been in a place where you'd say, I love my spouse, but I don't like him at all? Don't raise your hand because they're watching. Do you know what the problem is? <laughs> it taint your spouse. It's that your tank is empty. Come on, does anyone hear me now? Your spouse will be more attractive, funnier, more entertaining, engaging. They'll just be a lot better person in your eyes when your tank is full. That boss that is a creep, you'll have a burden for when your tank is full. That person from church you saw at Walmart and you went down the other aisle? You saw him coming and you pretended to answer your phone and then it started to ring? <laughs> They're not as hard to deal with. Come on, is there anyone in the house? When your tank is full. If you're going to build the body of Christ, we need to celebrate the new birth. But when we celebrate the new birth, then we need to grow up and be built up into a spiritual house that proclaims his praise. We need to, we need to crave that sustenance. Somebody needs a fresh touch from Jesus today. Would you stand with me? And I want us to worship like this was your last moment on earth, that you just received an announcement that in two minutes, Jesus is going to break through the clouds and call us home. How would you worship then? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Your tank's empty. You desperately need it filled. Let's take a couple of minutes. Can we do that? And say, Jesus, I crave. I'm hungry for. I've got to have a fresh sustenance, a sincere spiritual encounter with Jesus. And I need.
sing at church. I worship. Come on, lift your voice and sing. I If you have pain in your body, this is a morning to make some space and let Jesus heal you. If you've never spoken in tongues, this is your morning to create some space and worship him and pray in that new language. And so Pastor Nathan's asked me about this and we've not done this, but I'm going to open this altar space. And if you need to just create some space, it's just tight in there, then come up here and stand, stand in a corner, stand at the back. We're not going to, we're not going to prolong this, but somebody needs to create some space to receive what God has for them today. And I don't want to get in the way of that. So let's not be perfunctory. Let's morning. Come on. Let's get a big drink from Jesus. Let's worship him. Make some space. Receive what he has for you. You are here. You're turning lives around. I believe it's I worship you. I worship you. Oh, you are here. You're mending every heart.
that's who he is this morning. something this week I'm going to ask you to find time to make space for God push everything else out and ask God to make you so hungry for him you can't stand it now in the natural people approach food differently my wife eats in order to live and that's a good thing for me, I live for the benefit to eat. It's a recreational activity. And so we were, uh, I think it was Friday. We had been busy running from place to place, doing some things and had a value meal hamburger. And then we're visiting family and it's getting later in the day. And that's all I've had to go on. And we're driving along. And my question is, and are we going to stop? It's where are we going to stop? She said, what sounds good to you? And I said, you can't name anything that sounds bad to me right now. <laughs> Hello? Anybody get what I'm saying? I said, if we don't find something soon, I'm going to pull off and eat the grass in the ditch. I mean, I'm just... What I'm saying to you is, some people are satisfied with just enough spiritual nourishment. See, it's, you understand, right? That if you just eat without restraint, you'll kill yourself. But in spiritual matters, it's the reverse of that. If you eat just to survive, you'll kill yourself. It's not enough for you to say, well, yeah, I know that I prayed and I pray over my, I, I pray over my meals, I'm going to heaven. When was the last time you were so hungry for him? that you couldn't stand it. What would happen if we'd begin to create space that we were so hungry for him? God, I need to see you. I need to feel you. I need to know you. I need a refreshing. One of the members of our church wrote to me, sent me an email and said, Pastor, I was driving uh, to work this week and I did what you said and I just began to worship and I began to pray in tongues and it was the most refreshing experience I've had in my life. We need that kind of hunger. Is anyone hearing me? If we're going to build the body, we have to be hungry for Jesus. Otherwise, we can't put up with you. We need to be hungry for Jesus. So ask God to build your appetite for the kingdom. Amen. Jesus, we stand before you today recognizing that we need our appetite stimulated. Help us crave sincere spiritual sustenance that only comes from you. Give us a hunger that will not be satisfied until we walk in your presence. In Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement said?
Amen. Amen. God bless you. So glad you're here this morning. Thank you for your ongoing, faithful, generous financial support. However you're doing that, it is so, so appreciated. And we're going to continue to do what God's called us to do to reach this world. And shut up foolish, ignorant people. Hallelujah. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands.